Pat Morris, Mr. Elvis Costello. You know, all day long here, all day long, people who uh, work on the show have been very excited about this appearance, and they've said, you know, Elvis Costello just doesn't do an awful lot of television. You don't see him on many shows. He doesn't grant many interviews. So I'm very happy that you're here tonight, but I have to ask you why you don't appear that much on the chat shows, as they're called in the U.K., or do more interviews. Well, we've never really been asked. I, I've never been asked. <laughs> this would be a good reason, wouldn't it? In fact, the last time we were on NBC, I think they told us not to come back. They, they said, we'll see you never work again on American TV. <laughs> what was that occasion? Was that the Saturday Night Live yeah, appearance? Yeah, where you yeah, do well, that's the only time we've ever been on TV. All right, yeah. what happened there? You changed songs or something. Yeah, that... well, I thought it was a live show because uh, something about the title sort of suggests it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the number that we uh, we were sort of bullied into doing because uh, in those days uh, the record company used to be able to lean on us and say you must do must promote the product, the product, mm-hmm. the rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I didn't honestly feel that the song it was actually the song that was written about in a very English situation. It didn't really fit, and we had a new number which at that time wasn't recorded about radio. And I thought well. Golden opportunity to uh, to play it in front of a lot of people, mm-hmm. so we just did it spontaneously, you know. And uh, but uh, evidently, uh, it's not that live, you know. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! All right, welcome everyone. This is That Record Got Me High. I am Rob Elba. It is great having you guys here again. I mean, you know, I've been listening to the last couple of shows and I feel like my energy has been down a little. So I'm going to try and keep my energy up a little more just because I, I have been working a lot. I've been a little tired, but I'm going to I'm going to make a concerted effort to keep my energy a little higher. I don't know how it's going to work out, but uh, we'll see. Um, before I get to my guest real quick, I want to welcome the newest patron to the show, Izo Besares, Izo Besares, welcome to the uh, That Work Got Me High Patreon family. Uh, I really appreciate you guys so much. Don't forget, you can become a patron of the show just by going to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. And speaking of patrons, I have a guest tonight that is also, that, that that's a friend, someone I've known for a really long time, but he's also a patron of this podcast. Welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Carroll. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Rob. Delighted to be here. I've been a listener for some time, so I'm really enjoying being here. Yeah, it's great having you and me and Steve go back. We know each other from the early 90s. We both played in the early 90s bands. Now, uh, Steve, I remember uh, Beat the Press and I remember Love Canal. Yeah, Yeah. Beat the Press, I think, was even late 80s, right? It was. That's wow, that's going way back. And then Beat the Press, Love Love Canal, Canal, which which pre internet, you, you can think of a band name and. Then later on, you find out that several people have already done that one. Oh, already, right, right, but, right. <laughs> you know, so if you go looking for us, it might not be us. Uh, and then uh, the latter part, we had a band called Moon Farm, which has still got some stuff out there. But we, I always like to say, like the musicians back then, we played in different bands together. It's yeah. kind of what happened. We were kind of on the same stages and we kind of supported ourselves. Mm. Oh, yeah, other. yeah, for sure, you know, for sure. It was, it, was, it, was good. it was a good time. Now, do you still do you dabble? Do you do anything musical at all now, Steve? 
Mm, I still play uh, and I still um, write halves, half a song here and there. Oh, okay, I don't nice. ever, I never complete one. I just start a new one, and I right. probably got a lot of those. But I, you know, uh, I thought I was going to do something. I live in Chicago now. I thought I was going to do something up here, but kind of work got in the way. But uh, I still do play here. Oh, okay. But you're not. But that, you know what? At least you're not playing in like a horrible weekend uh, cover band or something like that. That's good. Because yeah, I'm no. That's no, 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 not me. I, right? No, I know, no, not me no either. Cause. I know. I have some friends that do that, and they, uh, God bless them. But no, man, I, I think I would hard uh, work. Kill myself. I, the, yeah. Many, many years ago, I did that for. Tried to do that for a living. Right when I first to the U.S. and five sets a night, and everybody. Yeah, no way. It is hard work, right? And it's yeah. kind of uh, soul crushing too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I always try to write original stuff and it's just much more fun. Right, right. Yeah, it is for sure. All right. So uh, we are not here to talk about that, although we could. I'm sure we could go back and talk about uh, all sorts of stuff uh, from the early 90s, because that was a really I mean, when we were playing in those bands in the early 90s in South Florida, there was like a, a pretty good original music scene down here. Right. It I was. Mean, yeah. yeah, it was great. It, it was uh, it wasn't too hard to do well. Um, you know, if you, I mean, there's a lot of good bands out there, but I think that you guys and us tried to do something different where we went on the road for a while and yeah. it's, you go from like playing, you know, a packed club where you know everybody to playing in somewhere in Huntsville, Alabama to the bartender and the, and the, and the sound man exactly. on a Monday night, yeah. and which yeah. happened to us several times. And we would always get like really depressed and We'd walk in the bathroom and we'd see a holy terror sticker in the bathroom. We went, all right, I think we're on the right track here. These guys, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've been there before us. To the same two yeah. people that you did, yeah, for Exactly. Sure. <laughs> so but it was an enlightening experience. And right, right. But, you know, it's yeah. great. I wouldn't trade any of that uh, for the world, right? It was... Uh, no, no, it was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. All right, but what are we here to tell? What is the record you brought, which I'm amazed. This is our fifth season, Steve, and no one has uh -huh. done... a a record by this uh by yeah. this man and this band yeah. so what are we doing yeah only 32 albums from elvis costello this is his third this is armed forces forces uh, elvis costello and the attractions so this was um was this the first one that the attractions were mm, this is the good question that's actually the second elvis costello and the attractions record but the third elvis costello record so the first one he performed, Nick Lowe had these guys in from the US called called Clover. I mean, if you remember, like a country. And he recorded almost that entire first album with Clover, right. which was, a bit of a trivia for you, which was Huey Lewis's former band. <laughs> I remember hearing about that. And I was yeah. wondering if that was just like a myth or if it, if it was mm -mm. true. No, That's they awesome. were living in London. They did this album. Huey Lewis goes on, starts doing a lot of work with Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy kind of coaches him up and he becomes... A front man because of Phil Lennon and Lizzy and that whole story, but that's that's for another time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you so astute. Now you're in Chicago. Now I'm talking to you in Chicago, right. but you uh -huh. know, listeners with a keen ear may be able to tell that oh, Steve's not originally from Chicago. <laughs> so <laughs> no. you may you may hear no no I'm from accent. Florida. So when did um, you? Uh, when did you come to the uh, U.S.? When did you leave? Uh, yeah, it's a little blurry because um, I came over here a couple of times before I came here permanently. Oh, okay. So that's probably, I think the permanent date was around 85, something like that. Oh, so okay. I didn't I realize spent, that. I didn't realize yeah. uh, it was that long. Yeah, yeah. So I spent a, a long time growing up in North London um, and pretty much through school and everything in North London a couple of years over there before I came here. So, um, yeah. 
It's oh, been great. So that's, so that's great. This is interesting because we're going to have two different perspectives, I think, because my uh-huh. perspective, like I, 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 when I was younger and still am, I'm, I was a really big Elvis Costello fan. And I remember when it came out, but I experienced him as an import at first or as someone, you know, mm-hmm. obviously a uh, British, very British. And, and he is uh, very British. But I was, a, I was always a, a fan of that. I love the Kings. I love the Jam. Uh, you know, so I, I, I know uh, some people uh, would think uh, that would be a turnoff to some Americans, like, like you know, the real, um, like, a classic rock American audience or something. They may not, uh, some fans may have been deemed a little too British, you know, for... Yeah, uh, Elvis calls it, um, I think he calls it sneering music in skinny ties. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right. you have, like, guys like him, The Jam, and there was all these, like, artists that sort of popped up that were kind of very similar. Like uh, Graham Parker. Graham Parker, right. Jackson, yep, yep, Joe Jackson, right. right. So they, they had that very kind of abrupt vocal, you know, where right. like Paul Weller had the same kind of thing and it had a lot of attitude to it. It wasn't necessarily punk, but it was sort of the leftover from punk and it had that real kind of ferocity and that attitude and, right, and right. that carried over from punk that that really kind of, there's so many bands that came out in the late 70s. And you know, these guys too, and you, I'm glad you said at the beginning and the attractions, because I think with these guys, the Elvis Costello and the Attractions part, as a band, oh I think God. he's always, yeah, what an amazing band, right? So I mean, great. The Just listening this. to this again, which obviously I listened to this record a lot back in the day. I love this record. But listening to it again now and listening, and oh, my God, Steve Na- you got Steve Naive piano. Yeah. You got Bruce Thomas on bass, unbelievable bass player, Bruce yeah. Thomas. And you got Pete yeah. Thomas, no relation to Bruce Thomas uh, no. on drums, but what a! And I guess by the time they did this record, I guess he had they had been playing with him while they had been touring, so they were mm-hmm. these guys were like tight, and these guys were a, a, a yeah. band, like a real band. Yeah, I mean they were like within weeks of the auditions, they were on the road. They were on the road, and they well, they recorded um, this year's model, and they went on the road for a year before they even came back home. So you've got this um, Pete Thomas the drummer played with a band called, you're going to laugh at this, he played with a band called Chili Willie and the Red Hot Peppers. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, uh, Bruce Thomas played, guys in England will know, Sutherland Brothers and Quiver, he played in Quiver. Oh, um, and, uh, and Steve was, uh, was a Royal College of Music, classically trained piano player that they boxed him into this Vox Continental. You know? oh, <laughs> so right, he's playing right, this right. 60s organ, like with all this talent and, uh, right, and right. just beating the crap out of it. And that's yep. really kind of where the, where the sound came from. <laughs> so uh, so this album was kind of like, I mean, I had known, I, I think the, the first time I ever saw Elvis Costello was um, when he was on Saturday Night Live, that famous Saturday Night Live performance mm-hmm. when he stopped them doing uh, Less mm-hmm. Than Zero and started doing Radio Radio. I remember seeing that live. Calling Mr. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason to do this song here. Radio, radio. One, two, three. I was tuning in the shine of the light, not dialed doing anything my radio advised. When 
to him but obviously he you have a different perspective so were you a fan of his right away when his first record no uh, i was i was 14 when this record came out right. and i used to uh i used to disappear on saturday afternoons and take the train up to london there was this comic book store they used to go to called forbidden planet it was right around the corner from where the marquee was anyway i used to take the train up to london and i used to go all the time on my own and I was 14 and this dark alley with this comic book shop is crazy but anyway so one time instead of taking the train I took the bus and the bus stop for Oxford Street was right outside the very first Virgin Record store that I ever saw right ah. so Vir Virgin Records at the time in the late 70s was a really big deal you had we didn't have those mega stores like Tower Records and there were all these little record shops and the right. Virgin Record shop was just a little record shop and I walked off the bus and I saw for the first time this Virgin Record store. And in the window is this album, right? So, but not just this album. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the original release of this album, but there's this really elaborate um, cover inside and all the inserts are inside of this album. Yeah, well, I was so, going to ask you that because there's kind of two different covers because the, the vinyl mm -hmm. I had of it, the cover was that colorful, looks like a, a pop painting almost. But not yep. the not the cover with the elephants on it, Elef right? So the Tom Pogson uh, it, um, painting with the elephants on the front, and what they call the bazooka cover, which is the back cover, which is um, and I sent you a note about this guy a while back. And my favorite uh, album cover designer, Barney Bubbles. Oh, that's so, right, you did because yeah. you had suggested actually for. A a Patreon episode for people to yeah. do their favorite uh, covers, album covers. Yeah. yeah. So I guarantee if you go Google Barney Bubbles, you have at least one record in your collection where that guy's cover on it. Oh, okay. So right, that's how right. me, if anything from the UK from the 70s, you know, punk and, right. and metal and prog and everything. Anyway, so this stuff is, and they had all these inserts and the, it was like a gatefold sleeve that opened horizontally, but it also opened vertically. And then inside had all these different inserts. So the Virgin Records store has all of this stuff festooned across the whole uh, of the window. Oh, of, and, okay. that, I'm, and I'm drawn to it. And I think this is really friggin' awesome. And right. I'm like, who, who is this guy? And I heard a couple of songs on the radio, but I wasn't, I was 14. I was listening to Zeppelin and The Who. And I started going to a lot of concerts with my older brother. And we saw everybody, Zeppelin, we saw Finn Lizzy, we saw, oh, wow. you name it, we saw everybody. And, and I was, that's, that's what I was into. I wasn't, I had kind of heard of him and I thought he was okay. And a couple of years later, I've been playing guitar probably starting when I was 15, uh, about 16, 17, I auditioned for a band uh, who was way better than me and much older than me. And I had no business being there. And the guy was on the phone with me and we started talking about music. And he said, do you like, oh, do you like Elvis Costello? And I want to get the audition. So I said, yes. Right. And he said, oh, what, what, what album do you have? Do you have any albums? And of course I didn't. That was bullshitting. <laughs> and the an image in my mind that comes up is this Virgin Record Store window. So I said, yep. Yeah. Armed Forces, that's the one. He goes, yeah, that's a great record. So now I've got to go buy the album yes. because, you know, my 16-year-old <laughs> mind, I think I'm going to get, like, quizzed on Elvis Costello or something right. when I go to the audition, but that wasn't the case. And that's really kind of, you know, when I started listening to it the first time, I thought, yeah, you know what? I think this is the first record I've ever bought that doesn't have a guitar solo in it. Uh, oh, right. You know, or a guitar, you know. Yeah. And everything else I had was all rock. 
Yeah, because I, I was thinking it's really this one especially. I mean, even though he was, you know, they lumped him in with the with punk and new wave. This is a pop record. This is like a yep. pure pop record, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pop record, but and this there's a word that I hear people use on this show all the time: the juxtaposition of it being very bright pop and like the bright cover especially with the elephant cover and there's a lot of kind of dark stuff oh in right the lyrics. Yeah, so his lyrics so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um yeah because there's uh all 12 songs under four minutes half of them are actually uh under three minutes uh mm-hmm. so they're just short they're really catchy earworm songs but yeah uh, like you said his his lyrics obviously that's the thing that sets him apart and um you know, he's writing... So, originally, the album wasn't called uh, um, Armed Forces, right? Right. It was originally called Emotional Fascism, <laughs> which I think is... The, I love Elvis Costello, but that's the worst name for it. It is. It's terrible because it's it's like too heavy-handed, too like on the yeah. nose, even if maybe a lot of the songs are about that emotional fascism, but no, you, you, he, you don't call yeah. a record that. And he, tri- <laughs> he tries to... T- he tried to... T- I love Elvis Costello, but when he gets like really kind of inside of himself sometimes he's one of those guys that needs a collaborator i think to make the best of him uh so so um he he uh he'd had a tagline for the record that said emotional fascism from the bedroom to the war room and it's oh, just Jesus. really really like over the top and i i didn't know that when i'm back listening to the album i i always thought like this is an album this is there was a common theme in the album but the album was the common themes conflict and there was a lot of different kinds of conflict from right personal conflict military political social sexual conflict that that's really what i always thought the album was about and i thought that's what the common themes were right in in the whole of the album and he he does something here which he, it's not unique to Elvis Costello, but something that he does very very well within these songs and how he kind of bridges the conflict is he he looks at subjects from multiple perspectives and multiple characters within the same song, as opposed to writing something from you know a third person or just a single perspective. Right. And sometimes those and he has songs and even one on here where there's multiple perspectives within the song that are coming from the same person who's particularly conflicted about an issue. So he, and he, he, embellish, he, he starts out with a very small idea and he embellishes on it. And the way that he embellishes on it is looking at the subject matter from different directions. And, and you see a lot of that on the album. And I, I thought it was a very, very interesting sort of writing technique. And when I first really started to get my head around trying to think about writing songs, you know, it's not a lot of verse, chorus, verse, chorus stuff. There's a lot of really cool arty stuff in with the way that he composes and looks at these this music from different viewpoints. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's a great point. And he's so sometimes, I especially on his um, on some of his earlier stuff, I feel like he he's so clever in the way he turns phrases. Sometimes it's almost too clever. Like it's like yeah. you 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 sort of you you sort of hear him writing the songs, and you hear him you know doing this clever turn of phrase. And even though it's great, some of it, uh, and and then also some of it, I think. A lot of it. Well, I was the same as you. I was uh, when I heard this. I mean, I think I'm a little older than you, but I got this when it came out. So I was 16 when I got it. And some of the lyrics obviously went over my head. I just loved the songs and I loved how they sounded. And I loved that I thought he's singing about some shit that I don't even know what he's singing about. And then and now when I look over it and read the lyrics, uh, you know, more of it, I think, kind of makes sense. But also and, and I also see that, you know, that writing skill 
that he has of just not yeah like you said that that's a great i didn't think of that oh the, but writing from different perspectives and, a lot of it, and um, you see he's a master of the double entendre oh yeah and yeah, it's right. and sometimes it's a double entendre sometimes it's a homonym sometimes it's a pun yeah. sometimes he's just using a word that really you know he's just using it because it means something else but it's not really he's not really trying to and there's so many examples of that in this one there are like right. in Oliver's army do you have an occupation do you have yourself an occupation I mean that's like a brilliant brilliant uh kind of because it means something oh it is you could use it yeah totally yeah. for two different so, two completely different and he, he does that all the time and sometimes he gets a little cheesy with it because it gets too punny you know just and he's putting it in i think just for the sake of doing it but right, right. he can't help himself it's all over this he record can't help I mean, himself. Yeah. and plus he was yeah. young whenever we do records like this and i think what was he like uh, 25 years old i think when he wrote this record it's like it's crazy when i think about that you yeah. know yeah, um. <laughs> Paul, and there's an interview I mean, later on in, in life. He did uh, he did some work with Paul McCartney, and there's an interview with Paul McCartney where he talks about Elvis Costello's writing style, and he says that they were doing a lot of McCartney stuff at first, and then when he said to Costello, "Do you have any ideas?" And he says, "Oh, do I?" And he grabs like several bags and he empties them on the floor, and all these books fall out of these bags. No, and on every and every page of the book, it's just one line, and it's some conversation he's heard on a pub or on a train or whatever. And it's but it's kind of like that kind of real unique kind of one line. And then you think like, well, here got this one. Line, let's build a song out of this one line, you know. And that's kind of where it went from. I think it's just really amazing and crazy all at the same time. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's good. That's a good description. Amazing and crazy. Um, all right, but let's get into this record. Uh, it starts out, uh, man, with such a great, catchy song with uh, uh, Steve Naive's piano. Listen to the opening track, Accidents Will Happen. Oh, I just know where to begin. Though it says I'll wait forever, it's now or never. But she keeps a man in arm. The Right there when he says, uh, your mind is made up, but your mouth is undone. Um, one of those, yeah. yeah. those Elvis Stello lines, right? That's just, you know, if you're going to write out 30 best Elvis Costello lyrics, I think one line is that's in there. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I love also how this is the first song and it's like he's telling you, oh, I just don't know where to begin. It's like he's going to because he's just he's going to hit you with all these songs and all these crazy songs. And I, I just love how it starts out like that. You but know? notice the this is a so I'm going to point out some very kind of songwriting toolbox things that he does here. So the very first line, that little unaccompanied vocal, that little OI and the music comes in. Right. 
the first two albums he does, he does the same thing. So he does unaccompanied vocals on the first track of the first three albums. Oh, really? And then, yeah, throughout his career, you hear this a lot, this unaccompanied vocal, big ending. And you know where he got this from, right? And uh, this is this is a Beatles thing. This oh, is okay, Hey okay. Jude, All My Loving. This is several, oh, you know, okay, okay. Paul McCartney thing, Girl, John Lennon. Right. They start that. And if you, I read an old songwriting book years ago, and it talked about hooks and getting in, and that that is one of the little tricks that they say that you can get into. But there's all kinds of stuff on on this song. I uh, I um, when I was a kid, before I had a record collection of my own. My parents had a pretty good record collection, and they had a lot of these old. Uh, do you remember like these KTEL used to do these greatest hits oh, albums? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and they had these collections, and we had like greatest hits of Motown and greatest hits of uh, um, rock and roll and stuff. So, um, big, big major major chord progression descending bass line. It's a it's something that you hear a lot, right? right. But it's particularly hear a lot of this in Motown, right? So he's a He's a real big Temptations fan, and uh, yep. this this song, I think, is, don't listen to the the, lyric, the vocals, but the the Dinaros and the Temptations. Um, I'm going to make you love me. Same tempo, same D descending sort of bassline. I wondered whether you know because he's done sort of Temptation stuff. Oh yeah, you know, right. That, whether whether it came from there. Right. I don't know whether it's conscious or unconscious of him. But I definitely hear that in there. He, de- yeah, I think he definitely uh, he he's obviously a fan of all different kinds of music, and he definitely brings that all in. And uh, and it's like it, it's funny you mentioned like a almost like a little. It, sometimes it's almost like cheap, but it's like whatever. Like starting out, like you said, starting out with this little, uh, vocal, it's like it's something he use he'll use because it's effective, and he knows how effective yeah. it is, you know. But you still have yeah. to write a a great song around it all, you know. He does, so it's not but just he, he he's wanting he's wanting he's. So he's wanting to be commercial on this album, as you said it earlier. But it's for a reason, you know. He understands that he he needs to have hits. He's had a couple of hits, and he knows what that feels like. Right. And he grew up around. His father was a professional musician, right? His father was a, a singer and a trumpet player in the Joe Loss Orchestra. And he never really made much of it. He was always kind of scrimping throughout his whole life. And he, you know, I think he saw that, and he he realized that as much as kind of you want to be a punk rocker, you also want to be able to be commercial and and be viable and sell records otherwise you're not probably going to last for long. right 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 all right so let's get into the uh second track let's listen to a little bit of senior service Service. 
aside from everything else, you could just focus on Bruce Thomas's bass lines and just get like lost in those, you know, just the, aside from everything else. Sorry, I have a dog barking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Never does this, of course. So See, this you is said, you said you'd be alone tonight, but you still have a yeah, goddamn but, dog. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, so she's, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, can, well, that's all right. It adds, uh, it adds ambiance to the right. podcast. Don't worry she'll, yeah, she'll be all right in a minute. <laughs> I, um, I think that... Um, so, uh, right, she wants to be on the podcast. Um, so uh, the lyric I love, uh, they took me in the office and they told me very carefully the way that I could benefit from death and disability. Yeah. Right? It's a very, very sinister HR meeting. Right, right, right. I always listen, listen to this song and I thought that um, when I wrote a note for this song, I wrote Jekyll and Hyde. I think this is a kind of a thing where you have, you have different perspectives are coming from the same person. So he's known to have a bit of a temper. Oh, and yeah, I think yeah. that this is very literal. This is him. I mean, he, he, he worked at a bank. And he worked for Elizabeth Arden kind of sort of in the old days of computers. And, and uh, he apparently got into a situation with a manager where he nearly put his hands around the guy's throat. And they, uh, they had to kind of send him to a different office. <laughs> so, um, but he's using it. Senior service is also a term that they call the British Navy. But this has nothing to do with the Navy. So he's, but he's using that. As 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 kind of one of these word things, and it's also the brand of cigarettes that Nick Lowe used to smoke. I saw that. I figured you would know that. I never knew that. Yeah. I just read that, like in yeah. reading about it this week. But I figured you would know that. So it's kind of like a working class cigarette brand. I, I don't know if it's working class. I know. Yeah, I, uh, I I remember seeing them around. <laughs> okay. I used to smoke like years ago. But I uh, yeah I um but but you know the the um so the the two characters are separated by the sort of the production where he's doing this very smooth harmony up the microphone kind of vocal and then standing at the back with a kind of overtop slap back delay right, yelling right. kind of thing and I always thought that was the two characters that he was trying to and maybe that's a Nick Lowe thing or and because most people I mean most people know Nick Lowe produced the first five Elvis Costello albums so um, he's a big force behind this and I don't know if that was his idea or whether that's Costello's right, right, idea, right. but I, but I think it's it's really smart to be able to separate kind of two, two distinct voices within the song. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. and it's and it's awesome. It's great. Uh, and now we get uh, the third song, Oliver's Army. Oh man, let's listen to it, and then there's a lot to say about this song. But just <laughs> this song is just just aside from everything else, it's so goddamn catchy and great. I love it. Let's listen to Oliver's Army. <laughs> Smile. 
right. So there's a lot to unpack from this song, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you could do a whole podcast just on this one song. You you really can't. There's so much going on here. Before we get into unpacking it, though, I just got to say that that you know, I mean, I read it, but where that piano riff is from? What is that? The piano riff? What is that inspired by? Yeah. Well, they're all huge ABBA fans, and it's inspired by it's inspired by Dancing Queen by ABBA. Yep, and uh, and so, I went back and listened to it when I read that, and, and said, "Oh yeah, obviously." Uh, yeah. But it's it's just so great. And when you think about it, he could have just taken the the melody and the music in this song and written like a love, like a regular love song mm-hmm. or something, and it would have been great. But the way you know the 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 way he the direction he chose to go with this and still keep that music, it's just a brilliant. Yeah. He well, I don't know if you know the story, but they he this they nearly shelved the song. They were going to kick it out, and Nick Lowe really? was really upset with him. And Nick Lowe said, "You're crazy." Right. And he said, "I'm just not feeling it. I'm not getting the tune. I had this idea." And they had like you know five or six songs that they recorded for this album that they never put on. They put on B sides. So and they just they, they just weren't really coming up with anything. And at the at the time, Steve Noe's been playing this old organ, and he's an incredibly talented piano player. And uh, he said, "Well." let me have a go at something on the piano. Let me see if I can do something on the piano. And just kind of fucking about, he's doing these ABBA octaves on the piano. Right. And they said, and they said, that's it. That's the song. So, uh, um, you know, and I think it's the biggest selling single he's ever had. I think in number two in the British charts, it's like 450,000 singles the first time. He, oh, okay. He nice. Uh, so, so it was, right. yeah, because like I said, it's all right. So the title is a reference to Oliver Cromwell, I guess, which mm-hmm. was the uh, parliament leader of the parliamentary army in the English civil right. war, but it, it isn't really about him. Right? No, I think that you, there's a lot of debate on this song and a lot of people think the song's about Northern Ireland. Uh, he, but he purposely, um, went out of his way to say, I don't really want to write a song about Northern Ireland. Right. But what happened was he had gone to Belfast to do a show and he was very nervous about the show. The Clash had been there. He was really good friends with Joe Strummer and Strummer had received some death threats after playing there. And maybe he said the wrong thing to the wrong right. people. The troubles were going on. It's a very, very difficult time. And when he came back, when he was coming back from Northern Ireland, he looked at one of the, because, you know, the British soldiers were there, and he looked at the, one of the faces of the British soldiers and saw that he was like this 17-year-old kid. And he he really, he, the thought was about these kids, that you're taking these working-class kids. Because remember, London at the time, in the late 70s, it, economically, it was not a good time. There was a lot of unemployment going on. And uh, it was just so... You're taking all these uh, kids who don't really have anything else to do, and you put yeah, them in the army. Uh, their only gone. option is to uh, is to be in the army, is to join the army. And, and that's the line what he says. Uh, uh, have you got yourself an occupation? Uh, where he's talking about employment, but he's also talking about you know British imperialism. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then you have uh, the other great line. This is we can with the boys from the Mersey and the Thames and the Tyne is referring to the working class kids, you know, they're Liverpool, London and Newcastle, big cities, right. rivers on the big cities. And then, and then I know, uh, I remember, you know, cause it stands out it, uh, when he says only takes one itchy trigger, one more widow, one less, yeah. white. but that's a, a reference to Ireland because that, that, that was a derogatory term for, uh, for the Irish, right? Well, yes and no. So he's very careful to use terms in here that you could equate to Northern Ireland, like that word, 
and murder mile was another one. But those terms were used around the world, especially around kind of military service areas in Cyprus and places like that. So oh, he's, okay. he's purposely kind of used those words, but he's used them in a way that he can attribute to attribute to other conflicts. Okay. So right, I, right. I, my own personal thought was in the late 1970s, you didn't want to be a pop star writing a song about Northern Ireland. I, I just, oh, there were right, so many right. ways you would get that wrong. Yeah. And who knows what kind of <laughs> retaliation. And that's the first verse of the song. He says, uh, the first verse of that song is him saying, I'm not going to write a song about Northern Ireland. Don't start that talking. I could talk all night. My oh, mind right, was right, sleepwalking right. while I'm putting the world to right. So he's saying, well, I'm not going to be a pop star that thinks he's got all of this figured out because that is a very dodgy subject to be able to broach and not many not many bands have ever really done that. Right. Wow. But he was like skating around the edge being so clever, right? And so uh, smart to just skate around the uh, the edge of all of that. And, and people will disagree with me. My, my brother disagrees with me. He's just uh-huh. not about not lying. So, <laughs> but but I, I did read the 700-page book as well, so I do have a little bit more okay. uh, yeah. on that. I'm going to well. go with you. I don't, I, I don't know your brother, but I'm going to go with you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So now... Um, we get one which we, we didn't mention, but he was going through his own personal thing now because he he had been married and had a small child. But at this point, he had left his wife and his child, and he was hooking up with BB Buell, right? Uh yeah. I think there was I think there was lots of hooking up with different people. Yeah, he I think, was. Yeah, he was kind yeah, of sowing yeah. his oats of a rock star. Yeah. So I think this next one kind of references all of that, and I think there's other songs on this record that do too. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of Big Boys. I am starting to function in the usual way. Everything is so provocative, very, very temporary. I shall walk, I shall that worrying about your physical fitness tell me how you got this sickness so there's a little bit of self-loathing going on here yeah there's a lot of self-loathing he does that a lot i i think that um but where where i think and this is kind of where i hear things in songs but he's very good at like picking up He's not going to do a 50s song, but he'll incorporate sort of little pieces. Right, little, right. Little, I call it like seasoning. He, does, he doesn't call and say, hey, let's do a 50s sounding song. But there's a, there's a bunch of like little Phil Spector things in here. There's like the, the opening line with uh, I'm starting the function. It reminds me a little bit of the ooh. The, you ever heard Leader of the Pack? The, oh, yeah. Right, exactly. It sounds a bit similar. And I, I, and I sound like the accent people have. I'm wondering if it's kind of on purpose a little bit. That he's doing kind of a version of this teenage sort of love song uh, that you might have heard in the 50s or early 60s. Right. I think that's the style of it. And the other thing about this tune that what he wanted to do, it mystifies me when artists put obstacles in front of themselves on purpose. He wanted to write a song where the only chord in the song was an E chord. 
And the oh, really? so <laughs> of course he didn't do that because right. that would be horrible. Yeah. But there's that's where you see all these different rhythmic changes. But I will tell you that if you play along with this song, 80% of this song is an E chord. And oh, okay, uh, I'm not talking about really? in the key of E, yeah, an actual E chord. So um, and that line, I was caught in the suction by a face like a truction. <laughs> it's just Yes, yes. I don't know what he thinks of this stuff. <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's um I will tell you. Um, I never saw Elvis Costello live when this album came out as a kid. But if you get the deluxe version, um, don't I, it's on Apple Music, you can find it. You don't have to pay $300 for it. I was listening, um, yeah, I was actually, it, it, it's also on Spotify. I was listening to okay. some of the live stuff. The, uh, the live at the Regent version of this song kicks ass. The drumming on that song, there's, two ver- there's three versions on the album. But there's one live at the region where it's a show they did in Australia where they had a riot after the show. Oh, nice. And you could tell how amazing. So Pete Thomas uh, on that song sounds unbelievable. And it, you could tell because you're hearing the song when they're playing it live before they recorded it in the studio. So you get a vibe that this was much more of a, you know, kind of a real loud rocker of a song right. before they kind of brought it into the studio and Nick Lowe's kind of tempered it down into some of these little genre right. seasonings that he's done with it. Now, when you got this, I think the original, well, the, the UK version, did did it come with a EP, like a, a live EP? <laughs> yeah, it came with all kinds of stuff. The problem was I didn't buy it in 1979. Oh, you didn't? That's right. You saw it. I bought it you two years later. Steve, what's wrong with you? I know. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I've had seven versions of this album. I've never, oh, you know, okay. CD and cassette and everything, but I've never I've never had uh, the one with all the really cool, I don't know what you call it, in, in um, album candy, all the stuff inside right. it, you know. Well, I'm I mad. I had, I had just the original, you know, the U.S. vinyl. I had it, but I don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened to it. But I was looking online. That, that's expensive. Like, the, yeah, these go for a lot of money now. It's crazy. They do. They yeah. came out with a deluxe edition that has everything. They've had several versions of it over the years with different inserts and different extras. I think just recently, yeah, out, 2020. Yeah, I think two, they did like yeah. some massive thing of it. And it's it's two hundred and fifty bucks unless you want the red vinyl. It's three hundred bucks. Oh, so um, I, I I don't I don't buy vinyl. I hate to say it, but I don't buy vinyl anymore. No, me neither. I, I don't. I, I it's love the vinyl. Kids. It's, it's for the kids. Yeah. I gave you know what, Steve? I gave most of my records to my daughter, my older daughter Corey. She's got a lot of them, so she's the custodian of my albums now, and she listens That's to good. them. You know, and on a yeah, I don't yeah. even have a record player anymore. So no, I you know a lot of my friends have albums. I'm not knocking it. I think it's great, but yeah, I just great. I'm at the point I've moved so much. I know <laughs> it's life. too much. Uh, carrying all those around boxes around, around again. Yeah. With that. All right, so this next one, I really love this next song, Green Shirt. Uh, and I got a question for you about the theme of it, but I just, I just mm. love the the way it's uh, it's got this like dark uh, feeling. And when uh, Pete Thomas comes in on those snare shots, it's just so great. Listen to a little bit of Green Shirt. There's a smart young woman on a light blue screen who comes into my house every night. She takes all the red, yellow, orange, and green And she turns them into black and white But you tease, you flirt And you shine all the buttons on your green shirt You can please yourself, but somebody's gonna get it Just listen 
I just love what they did with this song. And, and on the deluxe version, I was just listening to it uh, earlier today, and there's a, a a demo version of him just doing this on acoustic. And you could hear that it's a great song, but yeah. what they did with it in the studio is just so great for this song. I and the extra, verse, the extra verse on the... Uh, on the demo, the wires in the ceilings is wires in the wall. Oh yeah, that's right, wires. that's right. Yeah, yes. and so they cut the verse out of it, and, right. and really kind of kind of unique, right? I mean, I don't can't think of another song that really sort of sounds like this. So yeah, but I was going to ask you, Steve, because it's sort of about surveillance and uh, paranoia of like surveillance, yeah. and I noticed in doing a lot of. Um, albums by uh, British people. I, I know definitely on a Susie and the Banshees record we did, there was a song. They seemed to be like that time in Britain, they were obsessed with that because there was like cameras. I guess there was a lot of cameras everywhere and, and th- that was like a, yeah. a big th- thing going on there, right? Well, it was, a, it was a start of it. I mean, there's cameras in the UK, there's cameras everywhere. There cameras everywhere. Right, um, now there's cameras everywhere. Yeah, but, uh, and I it's guess, always been that way. Right. Um, but I, I don't. I think that the the this come there's there's two big pieces to this. I always thought to this song. So the key word. Remember I said earlier that sometimes he writes a line and he builds a song around it. Right. Do you know? Do you, do you know what the Quisling Clinic was? No. Have you ever heard of that? Before? No. So he's he's on tour in Madison, Wisconsin, and they drive by this place called the Quisling Clinic. Quisling is the name of a. Prime, the Prime Minister of Norway during the Second World War that colluded with the Nazis. Oh. So, yeah, so the word quisling has become a word, and it's a word for somebody who who um, colludes with an occupying force. And quisling was executed at the end of the Second World War by his own people for colluding with the Nazis. So so he knows this, and yes. they're driving by in the quisling clinic, and his thoughts are, I wonder what goes on in there. So that's where this... <laughs> That's where all this Shortshire and all this oh. stuff has come from. This, yeah, so the second piece to this is in the beginning, uh, there's a smart young woman with a light blue screen who comes into my house every night. The news anchor at the time, there was a female news anchor on the BBC and her name was Angela Rippon. And I think he's referring to Angela Rippon. And I think he's referring to something here whereby at the time, the late 70s, a lot of unemployment these hate groups were kind of popping up as they do, you know, and one of them, I'm not even going to mention their friggin' name, but one of them was really trying to get, become a political party. And the BBC and the other news news media, um, they let, in, in the UK at the time, they let them have what they call a party political broadcast, which is like a 15 minute sort of commercial, right. uh, you know, with no, no um, editing or anything. And they just go, and he thought that there wasn't enough, editorial comments about who this party was and what they were trying to achieve. And I think that when they talk about, um, he talks about these kind of sort of, of sort of fascist movements. Um, that's what he's referring to. Ah, sort of, okay. The, the white, the whitewashing of the subject matter and turn, turns it into um, yellow and green and turns it into black and white. I think that's what he's referring to. Oh, okay. Nice. That's good. And, and wow, when you think about it and you think about what's going on here today, right now, right. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, it would be similar. It would be similar to like the proud boys. Uh, exactly. Forming their own, forming that's their just own what I was thinking party. when you were, when and, you were saying yeah. that, that's exactly what I was thinking about. But you know what happened, but if you look at what happened, it's specifically around the youth and the rock movement of the late seventies of the UK and the rock against racism. I mean, the country, especially the youth really kind of stood up and, and said absolutely no way, and, right. and really, 
Right. And, and they didn't, none of these guys got political power or didn't get any seats in parliament anyway. Yeah. And they really ri- rise up and oppose. There was all these big, I remember we went to a couple of these big protest marches that ended up in these concerts at the end. And it was a really big part of the late 70s. Yeah, nice. And now what are the kids doing now, Steve? They're making uh, TikTok videos. What the fuck? <laughs> um, all right. That, that's a whole nother thing to get into. Don't get me started on that. All right. Uh, so this next one, Abibi Buell, speaking of hers, has, has said the songs about her, but uh, he has said no. It is not, uh, uh, definitely not. But let's listen to a little bit of Party Girl. And just before we go into what this is about, just musically, this whole record, he like it goes to all these different places. I mean, there's so many yeah. different sounding songs on it, right? So think of this song for a second. This is one of my favorite Elvis Costello songs. And you look at this song, I may be wrong, but I can't discern what the verse and what the chorus is. On oh, this right, song. right. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was thinking that. You're you're right. Yeah. There's seven parts, including the, 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 the little piano flourish. I wouldn't call it a solo. Right. But... There's seven parts to this that normally, like if you're trying to write a song, it's really difficult to get parts to kind of match together right. sometimes. And it does it so flawlessly and effortlessly. You know what I was thinking, uh, Steve? Maybe they're bridges. Maybe they're all bridges. He said he was going to compose an album of bridges. It's just beautiful. And I, I really think that it's just the piece at the end, though, it might sound familiar when he does the piece at the end. It's, um, it's very similar to... Um, you never give me your money by the Beatles. That oh, okay, one, yeah. One, I'm gonna play a little all, of that behind here. Yeah. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All good children go to heaven. It's, it's kind of that sort of sinks in at the end. But right. yeah, beautiful song. Yeah, and so he has said he wrote it as a letter of apology to a young, uh, mm-hmm. a young art student, right? That he met in somebody in that, yeah, somebody that he um, went out. And uh, they went on a date. I don't know if it was a date. And somehow she ended up in the newspaper. Right. And, you know, and he thought, that's a really shitty thing, yeah. you know, He to said do. they were just talking uh, about art. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and so he wrote this as a song to, by the way, I have to ask you a question. 40 years later, when artists tell you what the song was about, do you believe them? No, no. We always say that on the show. <laughs> never trust what the artist... Yeah, me and Barry, no. me and Barry's on, we used to always say, I, never trust yeah. what the artists say about it. Never. I think <laughs> it's because when they're writing these songs, they're writing them so fast. He's writing, you know... To, exactly. exactly. 20 songs. He's put, One of the good things about great songwriters, I think Bowie, I think Elton John, I don't think that they, in my opinion, 
to put that kind of output out, I don't think that they edit themselves. I don't think they second guess themselves. Right, right. I right. think that's it. Down, move on to the next one. It just so happened that most of it was good, but right. I don't think they set back like I probably did and said, "Oh no, I don't want exactly." And later, they the just guys. moved on. Yeah. But then, 20, 30 years ago, they could rewrite history and say, "Oh no, it was really about this," or "I was thinking yeah, this," and it's yeah. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah. all right so we flip uh we flip the record over and another uh, there's a lot of metaphors like war like sort of life as as war metaphors going on underneath the, the record i think right oh yeah, yeah. right I'm for sure all right yeah. uh, let's yeah. listen to a little bit of goon squad <laughs> So what's he going on about you, Steve? They pat some good boys on the back and put some to the rod, but I never thought they'd put me in the Goon yeah. Squad. Oh, so great. Such a sinister line. One of their few songs you hear a guitar riff in the beginning. Very oh, right, kind of right. Like, uh, um, so I, I think and this is me listening to this record for 40 years. In my mind, I've drawn up that there's some link to some of the other songs. So Oliver's Army, right? Get these kids in the army. Uh, green shirt, rise of fascism. Um, in, in this kind of dystopian world, this kid that's joined the army, the rise of fascism, is now having to do very, very horrible things to people. Right, otherwise, right. before those types of things. So he's telling this, and I don't know that he's trying to make this a concept album, but there's themes here where he's saying in this album, look, if you don't pay attention, if you don't get involved, this is the worst case scenario of what could possibly happen. Yeah, no, that, that's that sounds good. That sounds right. I, I really think you're on that because I think, yeah, I, I don't think it was ever like, you know, uh, consciously it, it's a concept album, but definitely there there's a concept going on here. And yeah, you tied yeah. the way those three songs tied together. I think for it's sure. Very that's, sinister. That's, that's, yeah. And um, just just it's a brief mention. The bass, I think it's the third verse, the bass breakdown, where it's just the human bass oh, without right, the keyboards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking unbelievable. He's Absolutely. so good. So good. I, I, I think that... I've seen them several times without Bruce Thomas, and they, they it's the imposters is the attractions without Bruce Thomas, and they don't get along. They they really hate each other, they do, which is huh? really yeah, really unfortunate because <laughs> they're so freaking good. So the bass player they got to replace Bruce Thomas is uh, Davy Farragher, who's the bass player from Cracker. He's really freaking good. good, but I mean, there's something about this. This is up there with like Lipstick Vogue and I don't want to go to Chelsea as far as bass and drum parts. It was just, yeah. I always thought that this would be, if I ever did another band and I were ever hiring a drummer and a bass player, I'd have them play this song. Uh, <laughs> they can play this sure. song, they're yes. high. 
then they would pass. All right, so let's get to the uh, next track here. Let's listen to a little bit of Busy Bye. here i think he's he's saying about sex in the way but of the from the point of view of a 20 he's a 25 year old sort Mm -hmm. of rock star kind of rock star guy so that's he's singing from that perspective you know which he sounds kind of confused i think he's confused (laughs) (laughs) i i think this one is more observational than biographical i think that okay so there's a couple of songs in here where i think that there's a there was a tour that they did um, before this album came out with all the other stiff records artists. And what they did was they put all the stiff records artists on a bus, on a coach, and they turned around the UK. Oh, wow. And there's there's a film of it. And it's it's you can get it, you rent it on Amazon for, for 99 cents. It's called If It Ain't Stiff, It Ain't Worth a F. Oh, and yeah, right, stiff. right. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yep. So oh, yeah. it's not exactly, as far as rock dogs go, it's not exactly the last waltz. It's more like right, a, right. kind of a like found found video or something. But there's a lot of shenanigans going on. Oh, so yeah. I, and when he says, uh, he says that you watch her legs through several service stations, service stations, a gas station. Yes. So I, I just imagine him on this bus and in there's, you don't see any evidence of him, but you see a lot of the other. So it's him and Ian Jure and the Blockheads and Rockpile oh, and uh, okay, yeah. Reckless Eric and all these guys and yeah. they're all getting drunk, drunk and crazy. Also, and there was all sorts yeah. of hijinks going on. And I think, that's, I think that's what's going on. Yep, I think you're right. All right, so this next one is the one that was only on the British version. And in, in listening to it, I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, they used to do that. They used to think, oh, that song's a little too British. So they, they took this song off and they put uh, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding on the American version uh but this is this is a great song and uh i did not have it on my album and it's called sunday's best This one has a very musical British 
music hall sound to it, right? Clown music. Clown, yeah. Okay, clown music. And and it's yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, on purpose. So this was written originally with Ian Jury in mind. Sex and drugs and rock and roll is all my brain and body need. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. It's very good indeed. Oh, so we thought okay. this was going to be an injury, you know, for this like Villa Ricky Dicky or one of the injury songs. Um, so he's just being completely provocative and insulting. He's taking this person that is the civil servant, the government person who's sending these kids off to war. And he's saying, you know, you're projecting that you have this very high moral compass. But in reality, you're probably one of the kind of kinkiest people. You see that a lot with the British kind of uh, judges and politicians. Oh, yeah, right. Monty right, right. used to make yeah. fun of it all the time. So he's saying that you're up to some really, really, you know, kinky things uh, that you that while you're trying to portray this this very high moral kind of compass. And right. there's, a, there's a line in there where he's, he's using the word engagement line. He's talking about being, being getting engaged. And he says, uh, be prepared for the engagement sign. You know what the engagement sign is? No. So if you've ever been to a public restroom in the UK back then, when it, on, the, on the stall doors, it would go from vacant to engaged. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. so I think he's talking about some kind of kinky stuff. In the, uh, anyway, see, that's yeah. something no one, someone in the US would never know that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always what I thought it was. Maybe, maybe it's me, that the one that's got this perverted thoughts, and it's not that, but you, that's kind of what I think. You know, also listening to this song, and I, I keep forgetting an, another band, uh, which is a band that uh, the album we did by them, East Side Story, he produced, is Squeeze. I uh, mm. I hear a lot of uh, similarities because Squeeze would do that too. They they'd uh, incorporate a lot of different musical styles in their thing, but they um, different approach than him. You know, I don't know. I guess more lighthearted and uh, and fun. And maybe he sort of got a little darker edge to a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, I listened to that episode. It was good. You made the point about, I'm not sure if it was you or the guest that made the point, how they can take sort of very uh, everyday things and make them sound poetic. Yes, right, you know? right. And yeah. I think that that's what their kind of art was, was that. And it felt very, it felt very, they felt very British because they used yes, a lot of British right. terms and it felt like, you know, um, they were kind of one of your own really in that way where, he, he he does stuff like that, but it, it gets a little bit more convoluted, obviously. Exactly, exactly. All right, so now we get this this one probably my least favorite on the record. Uh, just I don't I don't know why, but it never uh, it never. But but the lyrics on this one, which I this is the first time I really dug into him, they still have that enigmatic uh, bite that he has. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Moods for Modern. <laughs> Somebody else. Somebody else. Somebody else. I get it looking for a miss. 
it's, it's a nice it's a nice little song it's got a little book of t and the mgs thing going on yeah 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 right. uh they, they kind of but um it's yeah i uh I, I think this is about um sort of swingers or something <laughs> I right, don't know, yeah. maybe <laughs> I, no he says uh um Moose for Modern's memory lingers. I let you into foreign fingers. So I, I right, think right. That soon uh, you, he's, yeah, he's, soon you belong to someone else, and I will be your stranger, just, just pretending. Just pretending. So yeah, a little uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little harmless uh, fun there. Uh, all right, so now we get uh, this one. Uh, see, this one chemistry class I think is about BB uh, Buell, maybe because <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> someone that has a, a a love, you know, someone you have a love hate relationship with. I, I think unless he's unless he's just thinking uh, singing of taking on a, a persona, I don't know. But let's listen to a little bit of chemistry class. She's so she shows your mouth the breath that always trying to ruin your life. Is out of budget, but you take it on. Cause you have to do your duty Taking orders from the king You got a chemistry class I want a piece of your mind You don't know what you started When you mixed it up with mine Are you ready for the final solution? So this is a interesting song, right? It's a really interesting song, just the way it's put together. One of my favorite lyrics, and I need to explain a little bit because there's another British thing in here. Sparks are flying from electrical pylons, snakes and ladders running up and down on islands. But there's a light run. Do you know what snakes and ladders is? Uh, is it the uh, no, I, it's I the don't. British version, the British version of shoots and ladders. Oh, well, that's what thing. I was going to say. That, that's yeah, what it reminds snakes me and ladders. of. Ah. But the ladder is also referring to like a tear in somebody's stocking, like a like a lad, snakes and ladders oh, okay. uh, running up and okay. down. It's just it's it's Elvis Costello when he's getting really kind of playful and quirky. Cheeky, it's, it's real funny. Uh, cheeky, yeah, cheeky Elvis Costello. <laughs> um, the 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 book version of Elvis Costello does not say this is about somebody in particular, but once again. Do we believe him? Exactly. No, we do not. (laughs) He says that he, when he came to tour America and he started playing colleges, he thought that he was expected to see a lot more sort of student activism and they they didn't see that. And everybody was just out partying and having a good time. (laughs) So he wanted to go impart his whole feelings about, you know, if you don't wake your ideas up then you know, you'll be part of the final solution. Of course, the word solution also assigned to the word chemistry when you have a solution. So he's playing with words again there. He is. And he's also bringing in, but again, of, are you ready? uh, Are you ready for the final solution? A little Nazi imagery, what was it about yeah. punks in the late 70s, Steve? They loved to pick know, up the imagery. I don't know. I was watching this thing the other day because it was like the 40th anniversary of um, when uh, the Sex Pistols went on Thames TV. You must have seen that. Right. Uh, right. And, and I was like, oh, look. And I remember watching it when I was a kid. I was like 12. Right. And I was like, oh, look at this. And then I see like the Nazi armbands. Like, oh, I know. 
the hell are we doing, man? What is it? I think it was just provocative, kind of just trying to be, you know. I mean, there was all kinds of crazies. There was all kind, and in England, there was all they had all the spitting. I don't know if you know that. Oh right, gobbing. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, it was awful. (laughs) I got stuck down the front of a Dead Kennedys concert once in 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 Brixton. My god, that was you know what a what an awful. The band was great, but Jesus. Yeah, Um, I don't know. Whoever started that, uh, yeah. I, I have Never no idea. That. I have no idea. Um, all right. So speaking of Nazi imagery, <laughs> <laughs> which not, it, and it's funny because this one, it's it's clearly just about two pe- two horrible people. And we um, should say that we don't like the album because we favor Nazi imagery. That's no, not where, no, you know, not at all. Yeah. As a just, Jew, it, as a Jew, I you know I I say you know I uh, but. Uh, but and it's also interesting to note uh, because Nick how tidy is in uh, with Nick Lowe that on right. oh right uh, on Jesus of Cool which we did uh, we did the American version pure pop for now people he had a song called Little Hitler so now we got two little Hitlers. many great lyrics in this song i mean it's just uh, i i, I she, really love this song she's my soft touch typewriter and i'm the great dictator yes <laughs> i mean that's so great <laughs> so it's great obviously people um younger people don't really don't know but back in the day you know business executives used to dictate right uh, yes. letters yes. Uh, yes. and the secretaries would write letters and or shorthand or whatever so he's using the great dictator is you know great. i think this says something about um I think this is kind of once again like mixing business with pleasure. Oh yeah, right, right, yeah. The kind of vibe about. Some people think that this is about him and Nick Lowe, um, but I, you I, know, I, I don't. Think I saw that. I saw that red, but I, I don't know. I yeah, I don't. Nick think Lowe is. Have you ever seen, like listened to Nick Lowe interviews? He just sounds like such a lovely, lovely guy. He, right. He's really funny. He's got a great sense of humor. And yep. um, Nick Lowe's kind of production style was was to get everybody really excited all the time. Hey, let's go, everybody. That sounded great. Right. You know, and he's jumping up and down in the control room and getting everybody, like, highly motivated. to. And so I don't think of him as this guy that, that you know, he's he's really going to take issues or get into fights with. No, I can see Elvis, Elvis Costello as that type of person, but not Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was, like, the later, later producers, like Clive Langer and stuff. I mean, he, you know, he completely fought with him the whole time when they were making those records. Right. But, you know, I don't think that was the case with him. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great song and a great album closer. And you, so after, so th- you, you got this record because you had to, for that band, cause you had to do your homework. <laughs> but then after this, you, you became an Elvis Costello oh, fan, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, and you know, uh, I think my friends and my wife would call me a super fan. I, I've got, you know, I've probably owned 16 out of 32 albums. Oh, nice. I, okay. I know I've been to a lot of shows, just went to another one here recently in Chicago, um, I did, you know, I, I saw him recently too. I saw him with the tour when he had kind of like a band. He had like a pretty big band, and he had the two backup singers. We it was probably oh yeah, was it the singing songbook tour? Was that the one? The, not, had the, not singing songbook, but he had the uh, he had the backup singers, and he did like they did a little cabaret set where they did like a smaller uh-huh. band st- stuff. I don't know. It, yeah. it was good. I, I went with my cousin, and he hated it. <laughs> because he didn't play a lot of you know he didn't play no uh, he played some of his hits but he played a lot of you know d- different stuff which which i appreciate he does he do whatever he wants he exactly. started the show he started the show on in chicago with um with nick lowe's heart of the city that's the opening song oh right? nice. which is nice. unbelievable song right? and one of my favorite nick lowe's live version of that is incredible yeah and i'm looking and i've got myself a ticket fairly close to the front and i'm looking around and everybody's standing but you can tell most people don't know what this song is oh right right, and I'm right thinking, yeah and i'm having a great time with it i think there was one tour that he did where he did an acoustic i think it was the late 80s early 90s where he did an acoustic tour with steve naive and i was in south florida they played at sunrise musical theater and it's just him and piano player. And oh, freaking I unbelievable. See that one. And uh, he does he does five encores. And then at the very end, um, he comes out and does this thing where he says, um, this is a really nice theater. He says, I want to try something. I want to try a little experiment. He says, um, uh, Mr. Soundman, can you shut off the entire PA? And they turn off the entire PA and he puts the guitar down and Steve sits down. And he just takes an acapella, sings out to the back of the house with no microphone. Um, he does a from a song from May Like Rose that uh, don't call it unexpected number four. Um, and I've, I've seen it on YouTube recently. I, I thought I was so special because we saw it. No, he did it every night. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> it wasn't just that. But that's how powerful. Yeah, no. But that's how powerful the, the voice is that that he can kind of carry. And he still has that power. He doesn't have that sort of agility to be able to play watching the detectives four times faster than record oh right to, right yeah, like, yeah you know many years ago and yeah. they're still really great to go see live but like you said you you got to go see him you don't need to own all 32 albums but no. he's going to play some stuff that even if you do he's going to play some stuff that you've never heard of. at this but at this point he could he's earned the right he could do whatever he wants i mean yeah whatever yeah. he wants to do um Absolutely. all right well steve this was great i mean i really appreciate i mean i was excited to do this record but you came prepared and uh i really appreciate that you did a great job so well you've had some great shows and some tough acts to follow so thank I you hope I, uh, yeah no thank you so much i don't know do you have anything to plug do you have anything? <laughs> i don't know i um the only thing we've got left out there from the old band days is the Moon Farm stuff. It's up there on Apple Music. Okay, Spotify. Moon Farm. Yeah, that's so that's you. That's still uh, Love Canal. With, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I yeah, know. it started out with uh, it's me and, and Charles Beavis to sing. Yeah, my Charles Beavis. I've known for a very very long time. Yeah, and there's some different musicians on it. It's a it's a big rock and roll. Let's pull through Marshall's record if you like that sort of thing. Yeah. No, you guys were great. Love Canal. I never, I'll never forget. We played Zeta Fest together. Oh, you remember that? It was like the, the hottest. hottest. It was like it was so hot. Oh, 
I thought I was going to pass out. Yeah, I mean, that was like 115 degrees. It was. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. That was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Um, well, it was great having you on. Uh, don't forget, guys, uh, you could follow uh, the show on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. You're on that, right? You remember that, Steve, right? Yeah, that's fun. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just just as a note, you were worried about like young people not knowing a reference. Oh, don't worry, no no young people listen to the show. I guess. <laughs> um, also, uh, Twitter, it's at trgmh podcast. You can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. And guys, become a patron of the show. Uh, it would be great because then you could participate in the patron curated episodes which Steve has before you contributed and actually you gave me a great suggestion for one I think eventually we're going to do that one too uh, but yeah they're a lot of fun so if you want to become a patron go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and become a patron also just subscribe don't forget to and if you want to write a review someone just recently wrote a very nice review on uh, Apple Music and that I, you know I, I asked people to do it I don't know why it helps I don't know is it ego? Is it an ego thing? I want to see nice reviews, but yeah, why not? So do it. Stroke my ego. Uh, write a nice review if you feel like it. If not, uh, that's all right. Uh, Steve, once again, it was great having you on. Thanks again, man. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. All right. We'll see you guys next week. We're out of here. Bye.